Welcome to Become an Idol. This is episode 11, Writing for Instructional Design with Nicole Papiano. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Nicole Papiano about her expertise in writing for instructional design. She shares tips and advice on how to be a better instructional design writer. You'll also learn how Nicole became an idol without an instructional design degree or experience. In addition, she only had one full-time instructional design job before she became a full-time freelancer. I have here with me today, Nicole Papiana Lugera. You got I get it. it. I got it. And she is actually, I actually found Nicole on Instagram. Uh, at Instagram, she's your instructional designer. She's got some excellent content out there. And we just started talking uh, back and forth about instructional design and, you know, helping people who are new to instructional design and online learning. And so I really wanted to bring her on today to talk about some of her specialty, which is instructional design writing. And so she can share some of her tips and all that kind of stuff. So, but before we get into all of your um, tips and tricks and um, advice about instructional design writing, Nicole, would you um, tell us more about who you are and what it is that you do and that sort of thing? Uh, thank you so much for having me today, Dr. Robin. I am a big fan of what you're doing, especially with your Idol Academy. I think it's absolutely great, and I wish I had something like that when I was starting my uh, unconventional path, like many of us who end up as instructional designers. So just wanted to say that before I give my little um, kind of rundown. Thank you. Yeah, so... Most people um, who are listening, if you're familiar with me at all, would know me, like you said, from your instructional designer. I'm a solo instructional design consultant, and that's sort of my brand. Um, I work with a wide range of clients, uh, everything from you know enterprise level to small businesses on projects like entire training needs analysis to helping someone do a workshop or a webinar. And it's one of the things I really love about, you know, being a freelancer is that I have flexibility and it's not just flexibility in terms of time, but it really is a constant portfolio building process, a constant learning process to figure out how to give all of these different clients sort of the best learning solutions. Um, And then on the flip side, I recently uh, started an online professional development platform, which is dedicated to improving the teaching of writing in higher education. And so uh, Navigated Teaching and Learning was sort of a one-year in-process brainchild, and I'm really excited that we just launched this month to beta testers. Oh, cool. I want to hear a little bit more about this. So you, uh, it's for higher education, like, is about teaching teachers how to teach writing or what? Yeah, exactly. So um, (laughs) when I started my PhD program, one of the things that came with that was a teaching fellowship. And basically that Wednesday, I started my course at work. And at the same time, I stepped into a classroom for the first time to teach undergraduates. 
And I was lucky because I had spent a year working in a writing center. So I had a little bit of knowledge about teaching writing, but not much about classroom management or, or really what it took to teach it on a broad scale with a lot of students. Um, and my experience was actually, like I said, I had, I had more experience than most people who get thrown into the classroom that first semester. And so I really wanted to use my background in teaching writing and blend it with my background in instructional design to sort of give back to those folks who, um, you know, are really experiencing all of the overwhelming feelings that it takes when you're first stepping into a classroom. And then also for teachers who are just asked to teach writing when that's not their subject matter area. So maybe they're teaching history or science or literature, but they're asked to teach students how to write while doing that. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, a new process. And um, I'm really excited to hear what the beta testers have to say at the end of this month. Oh, yeah, that's very exciting. And so is it something that, um, what's like your process look like after your beta testers? Are you going to like start launching it and marketing it or fixing it or? All of the above, yeah. So yeah. definitely taking their feedback and making those revisions as quickly as possible. Uh, we definitely want it to meet the learner needs, so we want to pay attention to that. But at the same time, we have to start marketing and uh, launching the courses to actual customers. So that will be, you know, side by side sort of happening. This is so cool. This is what I love about instructional design because, like, you can like start down the path and then you can like just there's so many avenues for development and like expansion. And I mean, did you ever think that when you became an instructional designer that you'd be building your own platform and your own courses to sell besides working for clients? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, actually I, you know, it didn't even occur to me that I could do something like this. And I was getting a little frustrated because I was feeling stuck for whatever reason, you know, we had just moved and a lot was going on and, and I was just starting to feel a little bored with, whatever I was working on. And so I was up at like three o'clock in the morning one night, just writing down like, what are my strengths? What is it that I want to do? And this idea was sort of born. And then it took me another year to really act on it. That's fabulous. So I want to hear about like the beginning of your, of your idol journey. So you said that you became an instructional designer uh, unconventionally as we all do, but I want to hear your specific story. Sure. I mean, I like to joke that I started really in high school. I was sort of always drawn to instruction and, and really just helping people and, and wanting to learn everything about everything. And so one of my first jobs was teaching horseback riding at a summer camp. And so I had these kids, I had up to 12 kids every week. It could be a new group, ages five to 15. And I had them from eight to 3 p.m. every day. And the only thing I knew is that they would have an hour for lunch and two hours where they would be on the horses where I would be teaching them. Um, there was no format for those lessons. There was no instruction about what to do with them when they were on the ground. I mean, literally, I was just given a group of kids and told that I had to teach them about horses, which is slightly <laughs> terrifying because not only do you have all these kids, but they can literally, you know, get really hurt if they uh, aren't listening. Right. Yeah. So a whole set of problems. <laughs> but, you know, that was sort of my first um, dive into instructional design. I had to create a curriculum and lesson plans and sort of keep them entertained five days a week all summer long. Um, so that was like, you know, the, the deep dive at the first level. <laughs> but I didn't know instructional design was a thing. Like definitely not then. 
Um, and then as I got to grad school, like I said, I started to tutor in a writing center. And then I moved on to teaching writing classes at the college level and um, designing for, you know, face-to-face learning and blended learning and online learning. And somebody told me, you know, if you like teaching, you can make way more money, um, you know, designing learning for corporate and going out and being a trainer. And I was like, no, that's ridiculous. And then lo and behold, a few years later, that's exactly what I did. (laughs) So I found this great job um, when, you know, I was kind of over being an adjunct professor. It was, it was really tough uh, financially. It's like less than a fast food worker makes. And so I wanted a little more financial independence and control and so I started looking at jobs, and there was this great instructional design job, but it was in California. So um, I applied, and we did some Skype interviews, and we decided we would do an eight-week trial where I would create some instructional scripts and assessments for them. And based on that, I got the job, and I decided to move out to California. Eventually, I ended up managing the entire instructional design department there, which was about 15 people. Um, and you know you just kind of keep moving so after that role i just decided to be a consultant because i wanted to do more more work with different kinds of clients and different systems and sort of not be tied to any one platform or way of thinking about things that's wild so it was just one uh job for you in instructional design with that title and then you started your freelance yes yeah I mean, it was a learning and um, it was a learning agency. So I was working with a lot of different types of clients and different types of projects. I, you know, it wasn't an L&D department. Um, but yeah, that, that did between that and the teaching background, it gave me a really good foothold for sort of knowing how to assess training needs and how to um, create documentation and how to develop content, work in online spaces and things of that nature. I love it. And so now... Your actual specialization, the reason why you have clients that come to you right now, is because of instructional design writing and needs analysis. Needs analysis, right? Yeah. Um, People see the PhD in English, and the one thing that really appeals to them is that I can write. And I think when I started this job, I, I sort of knew I'd be writing because I was hired to start with instructional scripts and and writing learning objectives and things. Uh, but I didn't realize just how much writing could go into being an instructional designer between, like I said, creating documentation, writing emails, uh, working through developing interview questions, working with SMEs and, um, you know, communications. There's so much writing that goes into what I do. And um, that is definitely one of the reasons people seek me out. So what is what is your process for writing course content? It's not that different, I think, from the general instructional design process. Um, So I'm starting by thinking about the training need, or if you want to talk about it in writer terms, you can call it the rhetorical problem. So, you know, um, your audience, you know, who am I writing to? Your purpose, why am I writing this? What's the end goal? Then thinking about the form. Do I have to deliver this in a 15-minute webinar, or is this like a 120 micro-learning module you know, giant project. And then the content, you know, what do I need to say to get my points across? So I really try to figure those things out first because they'll decide everything from the tone and the style to sort of the way I um, format things or, or what I put in to the product. 
Um, and then the other part, which I sort of take from my writing background, is this idea of shitty first drafts. And I get that from an essay by Anne Lamott. I don't know if anyone's ever read it, but if you didn't, it's really funny in just a few pages. You totally should. But the idea is that you have to write crap before you can get to the good stuff. So you really have to allow yourself to have a creative process. If you try to write the perfect thing first, not only is that frustrating, but often you you don't play or experiment because you want to get down the first idea, the most perfect idea, but it's it's not. I love every like everyone everything has a shitty first draft. I mean, I totally know what you're talking about. And everything that you create first, like in anything, like whether it's writing or like uh, launching a new product or like whatever, like it's shit, just like you said. And it's all about just like starting the mom- momentum of it. Yeah, yeah. You just got to get it out. I used to tell kids at the writing center, or not kids because they're adults, they're in college. But I used to say like, you need to let yourself word vomit and then clean it up, which I realize now is probably not the greatest analogy because really when you're done cleaning it up, there's nothing there. <laughs> but you know, you just, just have to let yourself kind of get it out and then start to see what you can make with the pieces you've got there. Yeah. Or like the brain dump, if you will. The brain dump. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> vomit, dumping, shitting. It's really important. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you haven't talked about poop this much on any of your podcasts. <laughs> I Although I do in my daily life. I have three boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a dog. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what are some... What are some like your um, best tips though for when we're writing? So, you know, a lot of us don't actually come from a writing background, but just like you said, especially if you are in a training department, you have to go from like soup to nuts from like A all the way to Z um, and creating course content. Um, you've got to do a lot of writing. So what are some of the things that you can like tell non-writers? Sure. So uh, the KISS rule applies, right? Just keep it simple. Stupid, but you're not stupid, you're smart. Keep it simple, smarty pants. Um, you know, write for like a fifth grade reading comprehension level. And that doesn't mean dumb it down. It just means use words that are simple and clear and don't use jargon unless you need the jargon. Use, you know, easy to understand sentence structures. Um, if you're using a whole bunch of dependent clauses, and that's getting real technical, but a whole bunch of little phrases and you sort of have to go back in your sentences to see where you started, that's not going to work well for learning and it's definitely not going to work well for a voiceover narration. So that's that's a big one. Um, reading aloud, I cannot emphasize how important that is, especially if you're writing for, again, voiceover. Um, it's not just for proofreading. I mean, reading aloud is great for catching your mistakes in writing, but it's also good for kind of figuring out, you know, what a voiceover artist might stumble on. Are there words that are hard to say that you have to include pronunciation for? Um, and one other thing that you usually find when you read aloud that you might necessarily find if you're reading to yourself is, um, is there any distracting rhythm? So I notice sometimes when I'm writing, I will write, you know, three sentences that have almost the same structure without realizing it. But once you start to read it, you realize it's a little distracting. It sounds almost like a, a poem or a marching beat or something, or you start to hear rhymes and you're like, well, this sounds ridiculous. I don't want that in there. So definitely read out loud. Um, then another concept is to, um, if you're, let me backtrack. If you're in the process of writing, I like this structure called, it's called Hawks and Locks. 
And so Hawks is a higher order concern and a lock is a lower order concern. And so when you're sort of drafting things, you want to focus when you're in those early stages on the Hawks, right? So on your organization, on your main ideas and your focus, on your, um, your evidence, your storytelling, sort of building the idea rather than your lower order concerns or your locks, which are things like sentence structure and um, style, you know, uh, grammar and mechanics. Because if you decide to chop out entire paragraphs later, it's not going to matter if you focused on the little sentence stuff. That's good. What about your outlines? Now, like for me, I like the sticky note uh, process. What do you do to make your outlines? Kind of just depends on the project. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I, I don't have a formula for anything is my honest answer. <laughs> um, sometimes I love post-its. Sometimes I love just writing everything and then starting to break it up into lines. Sometimes I'll sit there if it's really early in the process, especially, and you'll, you know, you just kind of write one word down and then you web it out, creating a, you know, mind map or a web, whatever you want to call it. Um, It really just depends on the task. As they get bigger, I find that it's easier for me to have some kind of digital format and then I'll sort of sketch down on paper the little parts that I need to like dive into more. That's good. These are good tips. Okay. And so, um, now you've mentioned like voiceover and scripts. So how do you write? I know you mentioned like, you know, you don't want it to be sing song. You got to read it out loud. Do you have any like more specific tips for writing like full scripts for, um, for courses like, uh, like for voiceover and things like that? Sure. One of the biggest takeaways for me, uh, aside from writing, you know, short, easy to read sentences is that you have to write visually. So one of the challenges of writing for video is that I notice people who are just starting will sort of write everything, like they'll tell you everything that's happening, but the visuals should be conveying some of that stuff. So you really need to write um, only what needs to be said and those visuals should support it. Your brain can only take in about seven new sensory inputs at a time anyway. So you don't want to sort of be talking too much and then seeing too much at the same time. Right. You want what's being said not to be on the screen too in the exact same words. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Especially with reading. um, There are very, very few cases where you want to have that many words on screen. You know, if you have a really important quote and that's all you're saying, you could put it there. But if you have a bunch of labels on your picture or you have a bunch of free floating sentences, that that's just distracting. People can't read and listen to what you're saying at the same time. This is so good. So this is going to kind of be a little short episode, but like, do you have any of your best and final advice for um, people who want to write better or to become an instructional designer? Definitely. I'm actually, um, I'm going to give you two. So I'm actually going to backtrack one. The only other thing I want to say is that when you're writing storyboards, I think this is important to just to go back to that last question. Um, you want to be very literal and explicit like and use reference images so um when you're communicating let's say with a graphics team or or, you know even yourself i guess if you don't say exactly what you need to see on screen and you just sort of give an idea it's going to get lost in translation so that's sort of my last tip sorry i know I'm, i'm off question but then my my big kind of overarching tip would be to try it all but to find your niche 
Um, so what I mean by that is, you know, to stay sharp, you want to sort of dabble. You want to expand beyond what you're doing now. You want to learn, maybe you want to learn about virtual reality. Maybe you want to learn about data. Maybe you want to learn about um, graphic design, or maybe you want to learn about writing. You know, I'm not sure what's beyond your wheelhouse, but odds are you're going to need to dabble and at least know what's out there if you really want to be able to deliver your clients the best solution. With that said, you don't want to get lost in the weeds. So it's okay to sort of know what's out there without knowing how to do everything. And the solution to that really is finding yourself a good network and knowing who you can call on when you need somebody. So, um, you know, if I need help with video production, I know some great folks now and I can say, I'll help you write the script, but I can't do the video in the way you want it done. So here's my my colleague and they're fantastic and I highly recommend them. And so you can still give a solution to your client without sort of trying to master everything. I love it. I love it. And uh, you could even uh, put that person on, like build them into your pricing. <laughs> and yeah, not you can. I, <laughs> you can, you absolutely can. I mean, I've done a lot of, um, you know, I'll get asked to do project management as well for clients sometimes. So one of the projects I worked on last year, I had two instructional designers reporting to me. And, um, you know, that's an easy way. If, if you want to do that yourself, you can say, hey, I, I have these two colleagues, I'm going to bring them on board and I'll manage them and you're going to pay me X dollars for that. Yeah, that's great. This is excellent because um, a lot of times, you know, you get to writing instructional design and you're like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just write you know, and I'll just do like the process of trying to, you know, deliver the course information, but you forget about these uh, nuanced things like what you mentioned about, well, what about writing for voiceover and stuff? So this is so helpful, Nicole. Thank you so much. Thank you. So what about you? I'm, I'm just curious, what would be your one big takeaway Oh, or your one big piece of advice you'd give? Oh, for writing? Um, yeah. What have you found? I'm sure you've done it. A ton of writing as well at this point you've created your own academy you've, you've got tons of courses under your belt yeah so writing is actually a heavy lift for me and I mean I wrote a dissertation and like whatever but I'm more of a talker and so for me my process probably looks very different uh, from yours there'll be a lot of times where I'll do the thing where um, instead of like uh, sitting down and just typing everything I will um, hand write some notes or I'll just like speak it into a recording device and then listen to it and then um, and then type it out from there. Or I do a thing where um, I just I just write like you said, like I just write the shitty first draft, and then I have people around me that are good at grammar and syntax and things like that. And I always have them like take a look at it because for me, like I'm more like a person who's like good at like getting content out, but I always need somebody to come behind and do the refinement pieces. So anytime I finish a script, I always have somebody look at it for me before I send it to a client. Cause that's, I, I'm not a natural, like, like my husband, he's a natural writer, you know, he's an attorney. And so he's just good at that. That's just like what he does. But for me, I can get it out there, but I always forget where commas go. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of uh, folks out there who are on the on that wagon with you, and it's. I think you know. I really appreciate that. Um, I think that everybody does have a different process, and everybody has different strengths, and that's sort of 
the beautiful thing about instructional design is that there are so many different ways you can apply those strengths and still help your clients get a really great end product. But definitely, you know, my process works great for me, but your process works great for you. So you definitely don't need to have any one specific process. You just need to basically give yourself the time to get through it, I would say. Yes. And I'll sometimes like, for instance, like you said about saying it out loud, like I'll um, get clients who will want to give me their scripts that they've already written. And then I'm doing their voiceover. And then that's at that point where you're like reading it out be- loud before you do the voiceover. And you're like, oh, wait, this has got to this has got to change. So that's an excellent tip that you shared because that happens in my process just because I do the voiceover, but it, that makes so much sense to just do that. If you're going to be the writer. It's definitely saved me a few times (laughs) and definitely the times when I haven't done it, I've gone back and kicked myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Well, seriously, this was a true joy and a pleasure. So thank you so much, Nicole. Likewise, I had a great time. I'm like I said, I'm so glad to have been a part of this. I think what you're doing is awesome. And I, I'm enjoying listening to, you know, my, my instructional design colleagues out there and hearing what they have to offer. I know. So uh, if you uh, have anybody you want to refer to the Become an Isle podcast, you let me know. <laughs> Will do. Okay. <laughs> bye, Nicole. Bye, Dr. Robin. Oh, bye, Dr. Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> have a good one. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you'll need to land your first job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Find out more at idlecourses.com. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.